I want to invite you to take out your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 in the New Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way back. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can still pull one out. There should be one in the seat racks near you there. It's a black Bible. It says NIV on the end. If you just open it up to page 732, you can get there, uh, and we'll be looking at it together today. If you, while you're doing that, if you haven't been with us, we're in this series, if you look up here at the banners, uh, called Give, Pray, Fast. And as we've been kind of joking, we don't mean give and pray fast, but to give, pray, and fast. And so Jesus, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, said these three practices, when they're done in a certain spirit, a certain way, can be life-changing. And uh, so we've been looking at them. Uh, the first two weeks of this year, we looked at giving and how to give as Jesus teaches. Then we're now in the third week of praying as Jesus teaches. We're trying to learn how can we pray. Some of you remember that we had the reveal survey taken last year, and some of you indicated, man, I want to pray. I, just, I really need insights into how to understand and do it more practically in my own life. And so that's what we're trying to do in these weeks. And then the last two weeks of this series, after we've done five weeks in prayer, we're going to spend time learning about fasting and how it can actually uh, intensify and make our prayers even more fruitful. Now, um, as we come to this message today, here's what the big sentence is for the series, if you haven't already seen it, but we'll repeat it again. If you're following along in in the notes, when we give, pray and fast as Jesus teaches, when, not if, we give, pray and fast as Jesus teaches, it brings reward. It brings reward. And um, today I want to talk to you specifically about a way of praying that is so vital to having a rich relationship with the Lord, and it's called the prayer of confession. And I want to talk to you about how this can be a great gift in our lives. It's a prayer that we often avoid or put off. It's a prayer that sometimes uh, we're scared to pray. But when we pray this prayer, not only once, but many times in our life, it can be huge. And uh, again, what I hope you'll see in this parable we're about to study that Jesus once taught in Luke 18, I hope you'll see this if you're following along. Jesus wants us to know the joy of unhindered prayer. Jesus wants us to know the joy of unhindered or unblocked prayer. From time to time, people say, man, it just... Seems like my prayers aren't even getting past the ceiling. Seems like as soon as they come out of my mouth, they just fall to the ground. What, what is happening? It just seems like there's, there's no power in my prayers. There's no power in my life. What's going on? And the Bible says is there are hindered prayers. There are things that block our prayers. And that if we can understand not only what they are, but then understand how those can be removed so that we can have a powerful pipeline with God. Oh, my goodness. What a difference. So I want to talk to you about that this morning, and I need help. I need God to be our teacher, even more than me be your teacher. So let's pray. Lord, we've been learning to acknowledge you in all our ways, to acknowledge your greatness, to surrender ourselves entirely to you, and to admit our dependence upon you. We want to do that this morning. And I ask that wherever we started this day, that we might know a message of hope, that we might know a message of joy like you want us to understand in this whole adventure called praying with you. So now, Lord, I'm asking that you will just point out anything in my own life that you want me to be conscious of. 
And as I pay attention to you, I pray that you would help every person in this place know what you're saying to them. I pray these things in your name and authority, Jesus, and with great anticipation, amen. So uh, let's look at this, uh, if you would, and um, the parable there, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Let me read that verse, and then if you'd be ready to read that verse in the gray box. Now, before you read it, can I ask you to do something so that I uh, don't look so dumb? It's actually Luke 18.10, not Luke 18.13. If you correct that, then no one will know just how dumb I am about doing that, okay? So if you could just fix that. Anyway, Luke 18.10. Okay, here we go. Verse 9. Here's what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, would you read the next verse with me in the great box? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Again, you may not have heard the word Pharisee before. It was a really uh, religious word for uh, special Jewish, uh, almost like Navy SEAL followers of God. I mean, these people followed God with the kind of energy and passion that would make most of us choke. It was just an incredible thing, okay? So, um, again, as you're reading this story, there's a surprise in it when Jesus tells it that nobody's expecting. I'll continue, verse 11. The Pharisee, the religious leader guy, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you see in this parable of two men praying that Jesus tells. Both pray, but only one prayer gets through. Both pray, but only one prayer gets through. The question is not, do you pray? The question is, are your prayers getting through? The question is, are your prayers effective? Are they unhindered? Are they vital? Are they powerful? Because God wants every person to know the joy of this kind of prayer. And so it's possible that you can pray all day long and that prayer never get through. It's possible that I could pray all day long and be something that would hinder or block that prayer. And Jesus is clearly teaching that here, that one of those guys prayed a lot, but it wasn't real praying or it wasn't the kind of effective praying that God wants us to learn. So let's just look at the contrast between these two. Uh, Haddon Robinson once said that, you know, in the old days of cowboy westerns, it was real obvious who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. Good guys wore what color hats, friends? White hats, right? The bad guys wore black hats, right? So he says, like, if you were to put a color of hat on these two guys, if you knew in your culture, you would always put the white hat on the Pharisee. Now, some of us that have grown up in church, we've heard that Pharisees are bad, but there was a number of really good Pharisees that followed Jesus as well, by the way. But we would probably put, you know, uh, most people listening to this would have put the white hat on the Pharisee, and they would have put the black hat, no question about it, the tax collector. Now, you need to know this tax collector wasn't just an oops sinner. This person was totally hardcore intentional. 
They were deceptive. They were slimy. They stole from their own people. They used their allegiance to Rome. Talk about selling out. And they used their inside knowledge to collect as much money off the backs of people as they could because whatever else they were required to gather for Rome, if they could get more than that, it was all theirs. And so these people became unbelievably wealthy and rich and got to live incredible lives because they were dishonest. Now this guy walks into the temple to pray, and I bet every person's going, what is he doing here? He does not belong here. He is, he is a loser, and he is definitely a loser on purpose. So now think about this. So notice what this story tells us. The Pharisee, if you're following along, is proud in God's presence and great in his own eyes. The Pharisee is proud in God's presence and great in his own eyes. Let me just ask you something. Have you ever noticed something? I've noticed this in my own heart, is that after you walk with God for a while, or after you begin to learn some things about God, it can start to become so familiar, so commonplace, that you and I can actually pray to a God as great as God is and be unfazed by his greatness, unmoved, unaffected. Okay, God, I uh, just need to tell you this. You know, it's just a total casual waltzing into his presence kind of thing. Now, how is it that this guy, who I think probably had an opportunity to get to know God in the past, is now at the place where he's, he, look at his prayer. His prayer isn't, it starts right with the word God, and from there it's downhill. I thank you I'm not like these other creepy people. I thank you I'm way better than them. And oh, by the way, I know you probably noticed, but I give 10% and I fast twice a week. Yay me. Yay me. Now, how is that possible? But I've seen it happen to me. And I've watched that kind of prayer trend. Oh, man, and it's one of the things we need to be careful about. And I've noticed the tax collector, though. There's something different about his prayer. I don't think he's being dramatic. I think Jesus is trying to show he's not being dramatic. Something real is going on between him and God when he begins his prayer with God. And it goes uphill, not downhill. But it's... A hard prayer, it's sometimes we choke on it. And he says, oh God, have mercy on me, sinner. Oh man, powerful moment. If you're following along, the tax collector is conscious God is holy and asks for his mercy. The tax collector, even though he's greedy and dishonest and has been okay with that before now, is conscious in this moment as he prays, Whoa, I am talking to a God who is holy and yet also has mercy. And I don't know, when you think about God, I think one of the reasons why our nation is probably going through a slippery slide morally is because we've stopped teaching that God is holy. And we have reduced him to a God in our own image. God that's a lot like us or a God who we want to be just one way and not the other way when he's both. And so the, the, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That when 
Isaiah the prophet saw God high and lifted up. He heard the angels worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy. It wasn't that they forgot to move on to the next word. They couldn't get that one off their mind. And whenever the Bible repeats something more than once, it's for emphasis. This is true about God. This is true about God. This is true about God. Maybe an illustration will help. Years ago, I, my, uh, my in-laws attend a church in Chicago that had built a new building. And uh, when they were getting close to the final inspection with the architect and contractor, you know, those last final details are being finalized, the pastor of this church and one of the staff decided to get there early that morning before the appointment for the final walkthrough inspection, and uh, they pulled out a spotlight, you know, those that are used in theatrical productions, and because the ceilings were 45 feet high in some places, they just decided to put the spotlight up there and just make sure that all the workmanship had been done properly. And then they took out a notebook and they just made little notations. Well, while they were finishing that up, the contractor and the architect walked into the room and as soon as they saw the spotlight, they told them to pull the plug. And then they pulled out the contract and they showed them that there were very clear understanding of how they would do the final walkthrough. They were to do that under natural room lighting conditions only. And then the contractor said to the pastor, no human workmanship can stand up under that kind of blazing, brilliant, white-hot light. Many of us think that God sees us in natural room lighting. If we were to ever stand in his uneclipsed presence, all of our cockiness, all of our pride, all of our feelings of superiority would quickly fade away. And all we would be able to think about is him. When the Bible says God is holy, it means that he is totally righteous and not crooked in any way. He is totally pure. He is totally just. He is totally righteous. There is no shadow in him. And for him to be the blazing, brilliant light of character that he is, friends, whenever we pray, it is an unbelievable privilege to approach him and to know him. And it's in those moments that we become aware that we are not like that in ourselves. But this tax collector understood that moment. He saw all the sliminess of his character. He saw all the attitudes and the way he'd rip people off. He saw it all in those moments of seeing God's holiness. But here's what else he saw. He saw that God is also rich in mercy. And mercy means that God does not treat us the way our sins deserve. He does not give us what we rightfully have coming, but he shows mercy. A tender kind of kindness, a tender way of looking at us that makes his holiness and mercy incredible. And so this tax collector, as unchurched as he was, as unknowledgeable about God's stuff as he was, in that moment saw everything clearly and it humbled him and as he humbled himself under that he was able to cry out for mercy if 
you're following along, the tax collector confesses and goes home right with God. The tax collector confesses and goes home right with God. That's what it means. I tell you, this man, and not the first one, went home justified before God. Some of you, you know, when you're making a document for school or for work, you know that sometimes you will justify the margins so that they're all even on the right or all even on the left, or sometimes you'll center it, but they're justified according to that. In other words, they're lined up or made right with whichever way is the leading thing here. And, and that's what Jesus says. He says, you'd put a black hat on that guy, but you need to understand that because his prayer was so genuine and so honest before God, God gave him mercy. He went home a different guy. Wow. And here's what I'm so excited about today. The prayer of confession is what every person needs. It's a gift from God, both to begin a relationship with him and for those of us that already have a relationship with him through what Jesus has done, to be able to continue it. Because friends, if you've not noticed this, the Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And what I've learned about myself is that all kinds of things sometimes collect and gather and creep back into my life and it begins to hinder my prayers and it begins to change my spirit towards God in prayer. And when that stuff gets in the way, I need to know not only what those things are, but how they can be removed. And the prayer of confession is a beautiful prayer that any person can pray, no matter how much they know God, no matter how much they have church background or not, praise his name. So I want to talk to you about that today. And here's what I want to talk to you. The Bible says is there are things that block our prayers. There are things that begin to get in the way. And if we're not conscious of them, we will just keep rolling on, doing business as usual, and we will not have effective and powerful prayers as well as a powerful fellowship with God. So here's another story that I've shared before, but it's helped me so much. Years ago, a friend of mine who had been a pastor out in California said that in their church, they had this stove oven combination that was a gas oven. And uh, one day it stopped working for the ladies that were trying to prepare a meal. So they called out the stove oven repair guy and he looked at it and he says, look, it's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I know it's not working, but it's not the stove or the oven. So then they call out the utility, the gas uh, serviceman, to come up and check that make sure the, the supply was still turned on by the company. He said, still turned on. It should be working. I don't know what the problem is. Well, they finally pulled the stove oven out from the wall, and they began to look at the pipeline that was connected to the gas line. And as they eventually cut a piece open, what they noticed is that a little spider had crawled in the pipeline and had spun a web over time that was so thick the gas was completely cut off and the stove and oven didn't work anymore. Now, good news is, is once they discovered that, they removed the spider, not just the spider webs, because if you just remove the spider webs, have you dealt with the problem? No, they removed both, and once they did, they hooked it back up, and that stove and oven turned out to be a blessing to many people in the weeks and months ahead. 
And friends, that is what God wants us to understand is there are prayer blockages, there are spiders that can crawl into our lives or that we can be content to let stay there. And if we don't deal with them, it'll block our prayers. So what are they? Let me just give you three. And again, there's so much more I could say, but let me just give you three to think about this morning. The first is what the Bible calls wrong motives, or I call wrong motive spiders. Wrong motive spiders. In other words, we pray with the wrong motives. We pray with the wrong attitudes. And in my notes, I just put the word attitude above that. Attitude spiders. Do you realize that one of the reasons why this guy's prayer didn't go anywhere, the Pharisee, is because of his attitude. When he was praying, he was so full of himself, he was so full of pride, that God can't hear a prayer like that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But this guy was okay with his pride. The problem with pride oftentimes is it blinds us. We're the last ones to know we're proud. But this guy, because he wasn't letting the greatness of God and his light shine into his life, he'd gotten so familiar, he missed that. And James 4.3, if you look up here on the screen, look what it says. And even when you ask, in other words, you, you don't receive when you ask, but even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are still wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Like Steve said, a lot of us, we don't pray surrendered prayers to God like, God, what do you think's best for me? We say, God, here's what I want, here's what you're going to do, and that kind of thing. And when we pray, we wonder sometimes, how come God doesn't come through? It's because we ask with wrong motives. We ask out of pride. Some of us pray double-minded, the Bible says. That means that we want God, but we want the world, man. And we're not going to make up our minds. We're going to play the fence, and we're going to pray double-minded. He says, those kind of motives, come on. You've got to deal with those. Those things creep in, and they begin to sabotage your prayers. Wrong motive prayers. The second one is what um, could be called immoral practice spiders. Immoral practice spiders. I call these moral spiders. Now again, I don't know if you've seen this verse before, but Psalm 66, verse 18 through 20 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart. In other words, one translation says, if I had continued cherishing sin in my heart. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you can love your old ways? You can love certain kinds of secret sin because the payoff, the buzz the high you get from it. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me, but God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. In other words, the psalmist knows you and I can't just pray and act like everything's fine if we're going to also hold on to immoral practices. And again, I don't know where you're at in life, but is there... I mean, is there greed or lust or sexual immorality or lying or dishonesty or any kind of secret sin that when you commit it, you don't have a heart to see it removed? You don't have a heart to call it what it is. You've been rationalizing it, justifying it, calling it something other than God calls it so that you can live at peace with yourself about that. He says, come on, don't pray with immoral practices going on in your life. It just doesn't square. Even unbelievers know this, friends. The last one I call relational spiders with people. Relational spiders with people. Now, I remember getting dinged by this Bible verse a number of years ago, but it helped me make the connection. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Let's read this last phrase together. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. My dad taught me when I was a boy that no matter how prepared he was as a preacher, no matter how much he said the right things from the Bible on Sunday mornings, if he had mistreated my mom, if he had not been considerate with her, then there would be no power in his preaching like there could be. It would hinder. And therefore, so many times I would see my parents, even on Sunday morning, not just in a dead way, but trying to make sure they cleaned up whatever there was between them. And so many times to see my dad humble himself. I remember the power of this as a kid, that when my dad would discipline me, as I've told you many times before, sometimes he, he did it with a little extra octane. <laughs> and now that I'm a parent, I completely get it. And the more I know about myself, I definitely get it. But I'll tell you, it was powerful when my dad would walk into my room sometimes a half hour, an hour later, and say, I needed to discipline you, and you know that, but I didn't discipline you in the spirit God wanted me to. Will you forgive me? Oh, my goodness, the power of confession. And friends, there is unforgiveness in our hearts sometimes. There is bitterness, there is resentment, there is envy, there is jealousy, there is talking about people, there is backbiting, there is gossip. There are things that are relationally, and those things begin to get in the pipeline of our lives, and friends, they block. And God says, until you deal with that spider and let me deal with it, your prayers will not be powerful. They will not be effective. I'm showing you so you can deal with it, so you can know the joy of unhindered prayer. And I just need to tell you that this has been so powerful for me to think about. And therefore, what do we do with the time we have left before we take communion this morning? How do we use this time? A number of years ago, a person filled out one of the cards that Chuck mentioned you could fill out, and I received it, and, and it said, in a total humble spirit, would it be possible for us to have times in our worship services for confession once in a while? Because I just need that with God. I remember thinking, that's a blind spot sometimes in our services. We need to be able to do that. I shared this, and you may want to write this date down, but if you're interested in listening to a message on how maybe to practice confession as part of your quiet time with God, December 26, 2010, I went into a lot of detail about how to read the Bible and pray and journal and, and just process things before God. December 26, 2010, if you want to look that up on the website, that may be helpful to you. But you know what? Here's the deal. If you and I go for long stretches and we don't practice this incredible prayer of confession, spiders get in the pipeline. Things begin to hinder and block our prayers. And God says, oh, I don't want that for you. I want you to know the freedom. I want to have the richness of relationship. I want to teach you that you too can confess these, acknowledge these to me, and I want to do that. So not to destroy you, so you can be free. So let's talk about living a rewarding life, because remember, when we pray, as Jesus teaches, it brings reward. And that's what he wants for us. And so if you're following along, the word confess, what does it mean? 
Literally, it means to say the same as God says. It means to say the same as God says. Now, the idea here is that it means to agree with God, to call it what God calls it, to name it. Not to just go, hey, God, I know there's some stuff in my life, some general vague way. Rick Warren says, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So in my own prayer times, I've tried to get at that as honestly as I can. Say, God, here's, here's what I'm doing, or here's what I'm holding on to, and call it what it is so that I'm at least saying what God says and seeing it as God sees it. And when this tax collector, as messed up as he had been, began to say, God, I am seeing myself as you see me. And I'm willing to say what you say, and that is, is that I am a person that has violated you. I am a sinner. Literally, by the way, he calls himself the sinner. The Paul was a Pharisee who we read much of the New Testament. He would say, I am the chief of sinners, and yet there was shown mercy to me that I might be an example to other people that also have been like I've been, that they can know the mercy of God. And so when you and I begin to confess like that, some of you say, well, how do I pray prayers of confession? I'm not sure the words are as important as your heart. That if you say, God, um, there's a relationship thing. And you know exactly who it is and you know what it is about. And I just admit it. I take responsibility. It is something I am responsible for and I am letting continue to happen. I have... I have been a hider, I have been an avoider, I have been an excuser, I have not been a confessor, and I want that to change this very day. In the light of your holiness, I see it, and I agree with you, and I'm, I want to change that. But again, many times we put it off. I've told stories over the years, being your pastor, that when I was a boy, I broke a window in the back part of a building of our neighbors and they were elderly so they never walked back there so I'd never told them about it for over a year. Oh my goodness, that weighed heavy on me every time I saw the window. Sometimes I'd be in a church service like this or I'd be somewhere and God would go, the window, the window, I knew exactly where the window was. See? And I've told you before that I dated a non-Christian and I was unequally yoked and I knew better, but I was absolutely stubborn and rebellious with God for a year and a half. I resisted God. And God kept saying, you know, you have to choose between me or her. Not because she's so terrible, but because you know it's an obedience issue. Man, I just put that off. I could go on and on. Last week, I told you about how I had to go back to a manager when I talked to him in kind of a rude way. I mean, what is it? What do you need to confess? Isaiah stood in the presence of God, and when he says, when he saw holy, 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 you know what came out of it? He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. This is where I have let stuff get between you and me, the way I use my mouth. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Oh, God. And the Bible says that when he cried out like that, an angel flew and grabbed one of the coals from the fire and touched his lips. And he says, you've been made clean. God is more ready to make us clean than we are to confess, friends. He is ready. He is a God of mercy and not just holiness. But notice that if we confess our sins, God makes us right with him. 
if we confess our sins, God makes us right with him. Look at these verses, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Look at this up here on the screen, if you would, with me. 1 John 1 says, But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ does, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what, friends? How many? Someone say, praise God. That is incredible. Every sin. And some of us have some really dark ones, don't we? If we say that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Let's read this together. But if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. Look at Psalm 32, if you would, here on the screen as well. Look at what this says. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight by God. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Would you read this verse there in the second gray box as well? People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Oh man, God wants to make us right with him. Let me say a word to both believers and unbelievers. Why does he have believers confess our sins if when Jesus died on the cross and we put our trust in him, he forgave all our sins through what Jesus did? And here's the answer. When Jesus died on the cross for us and we put our trust in him, he established a new standing with God that can never be taken away. You and I can never lose our salvation once we are saved. But we can lose our fellowship with God. We can wrench it way out of whack. And so when we confess, what we're doing is allowing that cleansing to restore our fellowship so that now, you ever notice that if you're wrong with somebody like at the grocery store and you see them coming down the row, you turn your cart and go like this? Friends, that's fellowships whacked out, see? And God wants to restore that. But if you're here and you're an unbeliever, why is confession so powerful for you? Because confession, the Bible says, when we confess our sins and put our trust in Christ, it is the open door to having a new standing with God. You become a child of God. You're adopted in his family. No one can take that away. And even when you sin after that, you sin with a different heart or a different understanding of sin, and now he wants you to know the richness of relationship. So confession is a good answer, period. But here's the last thing. What spiders do I need to confess to you, Lord? What spiders do I need to confess to you, Lord? Is there any blockages? If, 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 someone might say, like, how do I grow in this? Look at Psalm 139, if you would, up here on the screen. Look at what it says. This is a prayer that I would just urge you, if you have the courage to pray this morning, God is a holy God and a God of mercy. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a beautiful prayer. 
And when you and I humble ourselves, God will exalt us in time when we humble ourselves with that kind of prayer. But then when he shows us things, he asks us to name it, to see it as he sees it, to turn from it, and to make right whatever he asks us to make right. So I was just spending time with my parents in the last few months. Some of you know my dad used to be a pastor. And I was asking him, as you look back on the last 40 or 50 years of your life as a pastor, what do you remember? And he said, there in our church in Danville, when I first got there, it was very cold. Everyone was very dutiful with God. There was no want-to spirit. It was all very religious. He said, we invited a number of normal, everyday people from other churches to come and do a lay witness mission. And over the weekend, they opened their lives to us and shared how they'd come to Christ and how they were still on the way, so much to learn. And at the end of it, the last day, they invited people, if they were willing, to just come up and be real with God and kneel down at the front and give themselves freshly to God. He said that it was a pretty interesting thing. God showed up. He said, but after that was done, several people stood in line to talk to each other. And he said, my secretary stood in line to talk to me. And she was broken and she was crying and she said, you know, you've had a difficult time being a pastor of this church and here's why. I have been stabbing you in the back and telling lies about you. And I, a lot of people don't trust you because of what I've told them. And God showed me today that I am totally wrong and I need your forgiveness. And he said that was the turning point. And that got removed when it got confessed. The power of the Holy Spirit came flying into that church and he will do that every time in an individual, a family, a church, a city, wherever people are humble enough to confess. So I want to just, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you several minutes to just in silence pray a search me, oh God, prayer if you're willing. Don't feel guilt tripped. Don't feel your arm twisted. If you're not interested in doing that, I respect that. But this is an opportunity if you want to take advantage of it. And then the choir is going to come and sing a song, Take Me As I Am. It is a powerful prayer that may be helpful as you continue to think about where you are with God. And then we're going to take communion. And when it's distributed, the bread and the cup will come with two cups stacked on top of each other. We invite every person who has confessed their sins and trusted in Christ to take communion, even if you're not from this church. But if you've never done that before, you need to know that you could do that this day. This could be a great day for you. But if you're not ready to do that, we respect that. Let the tray pass by. No one will look down on you. And just think about what's keeping me. What's keeping me from coming to Christ this way? Because he wants me to have a rich relationship with him and use this time. Okay? And then I'll give you instructions. Hold on to the cups so we can all take them together. Let's bow in silence.